The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, the only hairiest, most vicious beast in the world. I had to wrestle her myself. It's like wrestling a goddamn gator. Tammy, the underwear, Underwood. What you eating under there? Underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everybody. You know that that was a nickname I had all through school. Yep, that's why I used it. So totally thought I was over it, and then you bring it up how many years later? 30 years later? Fucking no. (laughs) I just have to fuck with you. Yeah. And also, you know what I have not done in the last recordings that we've done? What? Chris. Oh, my God. Chris Bassoon. Why don't you come? Do you like popsicles, Chris? I have some down in my basement. My poor family. We can spoon. I'll be the little spoon. Yeah. (laughs) told Scott the other day that, you know, my family probably wonders what they did to make me hate them so much that I brought you into their life, but, you know. They love me. <laughs> they do. My family loves him so much. It's disgusting. So let's go on with part three of the Atlanta yeah, this- Child Murders. We got Wayne Williams. He's already being prosecuted. Yeah, he's been sentenced for on two murders, but they closed out. All of those other cases saying that they have hit their killer in jail. It's laziness. We've seen that they, before. Yeah, they prosecuted him on two very circumstantial cases, and he got two life sentences, but they announced that 22 of 29 murders were solved now. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. And it's just, That's just pure yeah, laziness. It is pure is. laziness, and I do not think that he did it. Wayne's life matters. Wayne's <laughs> life matters. Well, and today I'm going to actually get into some, you know, because some of the most controversial evidence was the fiber analysis. So I want to talk about that for a little bit, okay? Odie doody. Okay. So cross transfers of fiber often occur in cases in which there is person to person contact. Investigators hope that fiber traceable back to the offender can be found at the crime scene as well as vice versa. So success in solving the crime often hinges on the ability to narrow the sources for the type of fiber found, as the prosecution did with their probability theory on the fibers in Williams' case. Now, the problem with fiber evidence is that fibers are not unique. Unlike fingerprints or DNA, they cannot pinpoint an offender in any definitive manner. That's what I was saying in the last episode. Right. The, 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 the carpet that's in my truck is probably in 10,000 other fucking trucks. Yes. You know, yes. It's, it's the same like if you come through my house, like if you sit on my couch, the fibers from my couch are probably in 10,000 couches just like mine. Yes, so because you didn't there, have it specially made. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, uh, unless it's a custom-made piece, you know, I, uh, my neighbors could have the same couch that I do. That's true. It's, it's just ludicrous to say, oh, this is our man. Well, right. okay, apparently everybody who has the same kind of carpet must be your man, too, then, dipshits. Right. I, just, I hate bad police work. Well, let's just, because there, there must be other factors involved, such as evidence that the fibers can corroborate or something unique to those fibers that set them apart. Right, like if there's blood or right. something like that, or, or if the fibers were burned and you find on, like, let's say the carpet, there's a giant burn area. And there's some missing. Right. Then you can go, okay, 
Okay, yeah. that matches up. That's that's unique. Yes, that's the same thing. Yeah, that's the same thing. But just to get the same carpet fibers and go, oh, this has to be our guy. Yeah, I bet you if you looked at in, well, you had said it yourself or, you know, that in apartment complexes and stuff like that, there was like, what, like 20 other freaking apartment complexes that right. use the same exact carpet? Right, exactly. Well, and see, and that's true because, I mean, because a lot of apartment complex, like especially lower income apartments and office buildings use that same fiber, same carpeting. That you know, makes sense, yeah. So, anyways, there must... Okay, I already said that part. For example, when fibers appeared to link two Ohio murders in the 80s, it was just the start of building a case. But without those fibers, there would have been nothing to link them in the first place. Um... In 1982, this I'm talking about the Ohio cases now, real quick. I'm going off on a tent to try to explain something. In 1982, Kristen Lee Harrison was abducted from a ball field in Ohio, and her body was found six days later, 30 miles away. She had been raped and strangled. Now, orange fibers in her hair looked suspiciously like those that had been found on a 12-year-old female murder victim from eight months before in the same county. Since they were made of polyester and were oddly shaped, the trilobal fibers, forensic scientists surmised that it was carpet fiber. In addition, a box found near Kristen's body and plastic wrap around her feet indicated that the killer had once ordered a special kind of van seat, but then the leads dried up. Okay? So sometime later, a 28-year-old woman was abducted and held prisoner in a man's home. He tortured her and appeared to be intent on killing her. When he left, she escaped and reported him. Now, police noticed that he had a van similar to the one into which Kristen had been forced. It proved to have orange carpeting that matched the fibers in her hair. That color was unique which allowed scientists to trace it to a manufacturer who supplied information about its limited run. Apparently, only 74 yards of it had been shipped to that area. That helped narrow down the possibilities. I think that's exactly how they did it in the Bobby Joe Long case, too. Remember? Because the red so, trilobal yeah. fibers, right, they right, were right. pretty rare. Because, yeah, it's unique. Yes. Now, that helped to narrow down the possibilities, and other evidence established a more solid link, and Robert Anthony Buell was eventually convicted. Now, fibers are gathered at a crime scene with tweezers, tape, or a vacuum. They generally come from clothing, drapery, wigs, carpeting, furniture, and blankets. For analysis, they are first determined to be natural, manufactured, or a mix. Now, natural fibers obviously come from plants and animals, such as cotton and wool. Then there's the manufactured fibers, or synthetics, like rayon, acetate, and polyester, which are made from long-chain molecules called polymers. Now, to determine the shape and color of fibers from any of these fabrics, a microscopic examination is made. Generally, the analysis gets only a limited number of fibers to work with, sometimes only one. Whatever has been gathered from the crime scene is then compared against fibers from a suspect source, such as a car or home, and the fibers are laid side by side for visual inspection through a microscope. Now, a compound microscope uses light reflected from the surface of a fiber and magnified through a series of lenses, while the comparison microscope, two compound microscopes joined by an optical bridge, is used for more precise identification. 
A different device, the phase contrast microscope, revealed some of the structure of the fiber, while the various electron microscopes either pass beams through through samples to provide a highly magnified image or reflect electrons off the sample surface. Then there's a scanning electron microscope converts the emitted electrons into photographic images for display. This affords high resolution and depth of focus. Um, Another useful instrument is the spectrometer, which separates light into component wavelengths. And in 1859, two German scientists discovered that the spectrum of every organic element has uniqueness to its constituent parts. Um, so a combination of those instruments for the most effective forensic analysis is the microspectrophotometer. Spectro- Say that one really <laughs> fast twice. No. Yeah. The microscope locates minute traces or shows how light interacts with material under analysis. Linking this to a computerized spectrophotometer increases the accuracy. Now, the first step in fiber analysis is to compare color and diameter. If there is agreement, then the analysis can go into another phase. Dyes can also be further analyzed with chromatography, which uses solvents to separate the dye's chemicals. And under a microscope, the analysis looks for lengthwise striations or pits on a fiber surface. Um, or unusual shapes, as with the one short and two long arms of the trilobal fibers in the Williams case. Now, in short, the fiber analysts compare shape, dye content, size, chemical composition, and microscopic appearances. Yet all of this is still about class evidence. Even if fibers from two separate places can be matched via comparison, that does not mean they derive from the same source, and there is no fiber database that provides a probability of origin. So since the Wayne Williams case pretty much came down to the fiber evidence, it's obviously open to serious challenge. Now, Chet Detlinger is a former assistant of the Atlanta chief of police. He and a group of other high-ranking ex-law enforcement officers independently investigated this case. Now, Detlinger, now a Georgia attorney, was asked by Williams' defense lawyer, Al Binder, to act as a consultant, and he co-authored the list, the only book to be published on this case. Among other problems, he saw glaring errors with the way the fiber evidence was presented. The, quote, matching fibers were taken only from victims. Only one individual red cotton fiber was found at the Williams home, which can be found in abundance at Kmart or Walmart, which is similar to fibers in victim Michael McIntosh's underwear that came from the vacuum sweepings of a car which the Williams may or may not have owned at the time that McIntosh was murdered. I wonder what would happen to me vacuuming my underwear. Oh, Lord, today there's not enough forensic analysis to even talk about that I'm just right wondering. I, I'm just asking for a friend, like, how much DNA evidence would they find in there? Would they be like, wow, you're a chronic masturbator? I'm just asking, okay? Just speculating. Why is everybody so damn mean to me? How does that mean? I ask a simple question. And I go, Lord, today. Lord, today. My microphone keeps slipping. Okay, tightened it up a little bit here. <laughs> Shut up. It is tight over there. Anyway, go ahead. Ah, ouch. Among other pro. Oh, wait, I said that already. Um, came, which is similar to fibers and my. Okay. Um, not one fiber from any victim was found anywhere near the carpet in the Williams house. 
Insofar as the Wellman fiber is concerned, they were attempting to demonstrate how rare the fiber in the carpet in Wayne Williams' room was. This ignores the fact that all of the Williams and any regular visitor to the home existed in the same environment. Now, Detlinger goes on to pinpoint the central errors in the prosecution's probability analysis. He found six of them. Number one, they ignored the fact that the same carpet was in all but one or two rooms in the house, including the parents' bedroom and the living room. Okay? (laughs) They overlooked the fact that Wayne Williams had changed rooms since the last murder on their list. The room they identified as his was actually used by a different relative. They even ignored the fact that even in residential applications, many of the exact same fibers were dyed the same color and used in rugs, which are not the same model number as those used in the Williams house. They chose to narrow their analysis to a statistical area that didn't exist, the southeast They also failed to allow for the possibility that the killer or killers lived elsewhere and traveled regularly to that area. They included only fibers said to have been used in carpets for residential applications, ignoring the fact that the same fiber could be found in many apartments and businesses. They ignored the fact that millions of pounds of the exact same fiber had been sold undyed to other manufacturers for use in applications such as car mats. Okay, so about the finer probability ration involving the car, Detlinger points out that the prosecution used Metro Atlanta figures to show how rare this vehicle could be. This means the Williams vehicle was not included because it was registered in Muskogee County, which is not near Atlanta. In addition, since four people had been in the Williams home regularly, that made four suspects, not one. The prosecution summed up by saying that even though the fibers were common, it is the combination of fibers which could not be found in any other environment except the Wayne Williams environment. This gives us four or more suspects, not one. And more importantly, what about a laundromat where the environments of hundreds, perhaps thousands of fibers are mixed and even clogged together in filters? Clifford Jones was killed in the back room of a laundromat. Now, Clifford Jones was the final blow to the state's fiber case. He was one of only seven who had the even remotely unique Wellman fiber. However, both the FBI and the investigating officer agreed that the agree with that agreed with Detlinger that Jones was killed by someone other than Williams and the Jones case was not introduced at the trial, even though the defense begged for its submission. Now, clearly the fiber probability ratio was not as impressive as it seemed. This case was the first to have relied on this type of analysis for pivotal evidence and several appeals just justices noted that it was too weak. There were no eyewitnesses, weapon, motive, confession, or clear placement of Williams with any of the victims prior to their deaths. Exactly what did this evidence corroborate? It was not even that clear that the two victims had been murdered and both were adult males, completely unlike any of the young boys used in the 10 pattern cases. It seems obvious from the many problems in this case that fiber alone should not have been the deciding factor. The same can be said for shafts of hair that have only basic distinguishing characteristics. Nevertheless, trace evidence does have its place as seen in the following investigation. 
from the time that Wayne Williams was convicted, doubt arose about his guilt. Many black Atlantans felt that the government had manufactured the evidence just to get the case closed. While there are a number of issues in the government's case that are controversial, the fact is that prosecutors, especially the FBI, believed that Williams was guilty. Did the government play fair and square during the trial? No, but that doesn't seem to that does not seem to be unusual because prosecution is about winning, not about justice or fairness in the abstract. The facts are that no one ever witnessed Wayne Williams killing or abducting anyone. The most important evidence against him was highly technical fiber evidence that only experts could judge. Any jury presented with a huge amount of fiber evidence in the Williams case and the government's experts testifying to its veracity would be likely to give it credence. Unfortunately, Wayne Williams was his own worst enemy. He never came up with a credible reason for being on the Jackson Parkway Bridge in the early hours of the morning, and his alibis were easily destroyed. But it didn't mean that he was guilty of murder, right? Right, right, right. I mean, it's like... So I drive across the bridge. Do I have to justify why I was there? For you, yes. <laughs> you have mean, to have a travel permit. You always need a travel permit when you're transporting livestock. Ouch! <laughs> you're a bitch. And I hate you. <laughs> <sighs> now, during the appeals process, the Georgia Supreme Court assigned Justice Richard Bell to draft the opinion in the Williams case. Justice Bell, a former prosecutor, wrote that Wayne Williams did not get a fair trial and his murder conviction should have been reversed. When the full court reviewed Bell's opinion, it was voted down. Bell's draft was rewritten. Bell was pressured to change his vote and the majority opinion to uphold the conviction came out under Bell's name in December of 1983. Justice Bell's unpublished published draft criticized Judge Clarence Cooper for allowing prosecutors to link Williams to the murders of Eric Middlebrooks, John Porter, Alfred Evans, Charles Stevens, and Patrick Baltazar. The standards for linking those crimes to the two for which Williams was charged were not met, according to Bell. Specifically, Justice Bell said, according to Benjamin Weiser, Washington Post writer, that there was no evidence placing Williams with those five victims before their murders and as in all the murders linked to Williams, there were no eyewitnesses, no confession, no murder weapons, and no established motive. Also, the five deaths, while somewhat similar to each other in technique, were unlike the two for which Williams was tried. The linking of the other crimes with the deaths of Cater and Payne had the effect of eroding the presumption of innocence. Bell pointed out that because the evidence of guilt as to the Two charged offenses was wholly circumstantial, and because of the prejudicial impact of the five erroneously admitted uncharged homicides, must have been substantial. We cannot say that it is highly probable that the error did not contribute to the jury's verdict. And I think that that's what the the prosecution was trying to do: overwhelm the jury with all this technical. Yeah. Evidence, oh, totally. Because then it's like you know they have no idea what they're reading, so they're going to believe the experts. Yeah, right? no, and, and I agree. You know, if, yeah. it, it, what's that old saying? If you can't uh, mystify them with facts, baffle them with bullshit. Right. Something like that, and that's Something. what they're trying to do. They're yeah. trying. They're trying to baffle them with bullshit. Now, the other dissenter was Justice George Smith, who did not change his vote as Bell did. Justice Smith stated that admitting the other crimes illustrates the basic unfairness of this trial and Williams' un, un, 
Enville position as a defendant who charged with two murders was forced to defend himself as to 12 separate killings. In 1985, a five-hour CBS docudrama severely ruffled the feathers of the Atlanta city government. The producer made it clear in the movie that he believes that there were tremendous breaches of legal ethics during the investigation and trial and that Williams' guilt was never proven. Over the years, an increasing number of people connected with the case do not believe that Wayne Williams is guilty, including some of the relatives of the victims. DeKalb County Sheriff Sidney Dorsey, who is an Atlanta homicide detective, first search Williams' home, says, most people who are aware of the child murders believe, as I do, that Wayne Williams did not commit these crimes. In July of 1999, the Augusta Chronicle printed an article that said a divided Georgia Supreme Court ruled that a state judge wrongly dismissed two claims raised by Wayne Williams in his bid for a new trial in the slayings of two Atlanta blacks in 18 years ago. The 4-3 ruling sends the case back to Judge Hal Craig to rule on Mr. Williams' claims that prosecutors were guilty of misconduct and that his own attorneys did not effectively represent him at his 1982 trial. Now, Williams and his lawyers are seeking DNA tests on the blood stains found in his cars, which prosecutors claimed were consistent with the blood types of two victims who were stabbed. Throughout the murder investigation, there is a fear in the black community that the Ku Klux Klan was responsible for the murders of the children and young adults. There was also credence given to the theory that the CIA and or FBI were responsible. A police informant allegedly claimed that Klan member Charles Sanders tried to recruit him into the racist organization. Sanders allegedly told the man that the Klan was trying to begin a race war by killing black children. Any group that can blow up churches can and does murder children. Explosives are a very efficient way of harming lots of people quickly with limited risk of exposure. We learned this with Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing. However, individual murders are not a very effective way to eradicate a large number of people, especially considering the risks of being caught by a black community that was in a heightened state of alarm. It seems unlikely that any white person could pull off all or most of these murders. Or he or they would have been too obvious to have escaped attention during a two-year period. What seems more likely as the body of knowledge about serial killers has vastly expanded in 20 years since the murder series began is that all the murders were not done by one or even two people, but that multiple criminals were at work during that two-year period. However, there does seem to be at least one prolific serial killer at work amongst young and teenage boys. While there was little or no evidence of sexual assault, many of the victims were involved in homosexual activities, either to earn money or because it was their sexual preference. Just because there was no evidence of mutilation or sexual violence, it doesn't mean that the murders were not sexually motivated. In fact, they were probably they probably were sexually motivated. The killer must have been very expert in gaining the confidence of these young victims. Successful serial killers become very expert at diffusing any concerns that a potential victim may have. Right? Like, are you a psycho killer? No! Yeah, I mean, whoever sits there and goes, hey, are you a psychopathic murderer? Damn Yes! It. Yes, I am! Son of a bitch! You figured it out! <laughs> You're the only victim, well, not anymore because you, you caught me, who's asked me that question. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's me. Damn it. <laughs> How did you foil me? I was just randomly asking. You must have the ESP. 
I know, right? So pedophiles have made the control of young people into an art form. Whoever it was that was responsible for the deaths of these young people had to move and live and earn a living among them. And almost certainly this killer was a black man so as not to have attracted undue attention or raised suspicions. Is this person still operating today? Probably not. He might be dead. These crimes began at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, and the killer may have been a victim of that dreaded disease. In fact, AIDS killed several of the suspects that were known pedophiles. So, I mean, this kind of goes along with my theory that I think at least three. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't kill those older victims, right? I'm just saying I don't think he's responsible for the younger ones. Nah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it just it, it kind of makes sense. Now I'm kind of doubting that he really did anything because they can't t- really. Yeah, they com- can't even link him to the two that they yeah. convicted him of. So now I'm sitting there thinking maybe Wayne Williams isn't a serial killer at all. Yeah, that he was just a scapegoat. Yeah, and they're, they're looking at closed cases and they're, hey, we closed, out, we closed out over 20 cases because of this guy right here or whatever they closed out. You know, so I'm thinking it was just, yeah, just uh, waiting for them to show that they are... Uh, it, Politically motivated. Right. Well, all comes down to politics. Yeah. So DeKalb County Police Chief Lewis Graham said he plans to reopen the investigation of the murder of five boys between June of 1980 and May of 1981. These five murders are part of the series called the Atlanta Child Murders. The five murdered young men were Aaron Weish, 10 year old Aaron Weish, 11 year old Patrick Baltazar, 13 year old Curtis Walker. 15-year-old Joseph Bell, and 17-year-old William Barrett. Wayne Williams, who's now 47, has always maintained his innocence. Chief Graham is of the same mind. I think he's older than 47 now. He was, but when I found this article, he was 47 when this article was written. Oh, okay. He's got to be in his 60s by now. No, the one that talks about this. So after Wayne Williams was arrested, there was this decision by some people to close the cases. And I have never been one to espouse that kind of investigation or paint that kind of broad brush, Graham told the Associated Press. I have never believed that he did anything. Now, Chet Detlinger told CNN he sided with Graham. Detlinger said, I do agree with Louis that Wayne Williams didn't kill anybody. He said, but Graham, he said, believed at the time the Ku Klux Klan may have been involved, and Detlinger disagrees on that. I don't know if Wayne Williams is innocent or not. I just don't think they proved him guilty of anything. I agree. I, I mean, everything they have is totally circumstantial. There's right. nothing that really links him to doing a goddamn thing except for trying to be a music promoter and apparently not doing very well at it. Right. And, and shit like that. So, fucking A. I mean... He sounds like he was a little bit of an asshole, but being an asshole is not a crime. If it was, I'd be in prison. Right, exactly. So by the fall of 2005, the ongoing investigation into Wayne Williams was slow. The lack of new evidence was blamed for the slow progress of DeKalb County Police Chief Lewis Graham and the newly formed cold case team made while investigating the murder cases attributed to Williams. I prefer a cold cut team. I love sandwiches. They're so stupid. According to Harry R. Weber of the AP, in 2005, Graham cautioned that he did not come into the case with any new evidence, but hoped to soon uncover some new leads and revive old ones that would likely vindicate Williams. In the interim, the emphasis of the investigation focused primarily on the alleged involvement of the Ku Klux Klan members, some of whom are now deceased. 
Now, the KKK's alleged link to the murders was first noted during the initial investigation, but was discounted later when Williams became the suspect in the Atlanta child murders. Now, during the inquiry into the murders in the 1980s, there were secretly recorded conversations made of reputed KKK members under police surveillance. Now, Weber reported, oh, hang on, my nose is itching, that in a 1981 recording of one of those conversations, Charles Sanders, the younger brother of an alleged KKK officer, told the Georgia Bureau of Investigation informant that, quote, the killer had wiped out a thousand future generations of the N-word. Okay. I'm What's not the N-word? I'm not going to say it. What's the N-word? I mean, it's quoting it, but I'm not going to say it. Fine. Whatever. I'm not singing along to a rap song right now. Which would inevitably create an uprising among blacks that they were killing the children. That they were going to do one each month until things blow up. In his article, Weber stated that the informant also, quote, told police that Sanders had threatened to strangle one of the children, Louis Geeter, because Geeter ran into Sanders' car with a go-kart. Geeter was later found strangled to death, but Sanders was never implicated in the murder. A month and a half into the investigation of the KKK members, the police dropped the case against the men after they passed a lie detector test. Soon afterwards, Williams became the main suspect in the murder. Some of the victims' parents believe that the men that men may have played a role in several of the abductions and murders, although there is no substantiating evidence aside from the tapes. Williams' defense team was forced to look elsewhere for new clues. Then there's the child molester theory. Um... On June 20th, 20, of 2006, the state of Georgia asked a federal judge to reject Wayne Williams' latest effort to challenge his incarceration because lawyers for the convicted killer have failed to show any relevance between the case and an unnamed child molester on whom they have cast suspicion, according to the Associated Press. Now, Williams' lawyers have had months to subpoena records from the DeKalb County Police Department regarding the purported suspect and have failed to do so. Assistant Attorney General Mary Beth Westmoreland said, There is no basis for doing so now, Westmoreland wrote in an objection to Williams' request for a judge to reconsider her dismissal of his habeas corpus petition. Now, the unnamed convicted child molester worked in the vicinity where many of the victims' bodies were found. The documents, which recently resurfaced, suggested that the man, currently serving time in a Georgia prison for multiple molestation charges, was a viable suspect in the child murders. Although the information was never released to defense attorneys, it was reported. When the defense team was unable to come up with evidence linking the molester to any of the crimes, the DeKalb Police Department dropped their investigation into the five murder cases involving Aaron Weish, Patrick Balthazar, Curtis Walker, Joseph Bell, and William Barrett. David Simpson reported that there just wasn't enough evidence to justify further investigation. Then the Atlanta Journal-Constitution quoted interim police chief Nick Marinelli by saying, Quote, we dredged up what we had and nothing has panned out. Instead, he announced that they were going to turn the attention to other cold cases that were in his reach. For the meantime, Williams will remain in jail with little chance for appeal. It's likely he will remain incarceration, incarcerated for the duration of his sentence. But, I mean, this is all I have on the article, but I want to bring, I want to talk about something here. Okay. Is I do not believe that the young females in this case are related to the young men murdered in this case. Neither. 
I also do not believe that the young, the, you know, these young children here, these, you know, preteen and teens were related to the adults that were murdered in this case. So, I mean, I believe we're working with three separate killers. At least. At least. Yeah. So, what do you think? I think the KKK could be involved with some of them, but definitely not all of them, no matter yeah. how much they want to boast about it. Um, but yeah, I think that you got, you got, I think there's several pieces to this puzzle that are still missing. Yeah. There is not a complete puzzle here. No. And I'm at just all. puzzled. I'm puzzled at the whole thing. I know. Me too. No, but I mean, cause for a while there, I did believe that Wayne Williams until I started digging further and further into the case and I just didn't see a connection except for the fact that he was a pathological liar and people didn't like him. Yeah. That's about it. That's what I said. I mean, he's an asshole, but. Being an asshole isn't a fucking crime, because if it was, I'd have a I was just saying, you would be in jail for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> no no offense, Scott, no offense. I am an asshole. I admit that freely. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like I said, I, I, after researching this case, I am under the belief that there's at least three separate killers here. Probably. At least. You know, and like I said, I, and I'm going to stick to what I said, is that they, they wanted to close out a bunch of cases. Yeah. They got Wayne Williams. He's, an, he's not the most popular person. So you can, you, can, you can present that. And this person says he did this, and this person says he did that. So nobody's saying, hey, this is a good guy. So the jury's right. going to go, fuck him. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. And, you know, and to say that, you know, convict him on two circumstantial cases... And then to say, oh, but, you know, we have our killer of 22 of these victims. Yeah. So I think it's stupid. Absolutely stupid. But what do I know? You have more? No. That's everything I have for this episode, unless you want to add some more. No. I'm tired. No. I know. I'm exhausted, too. I'm exhausted. My throat is killing me. Oh, rough night at work, huh? No asshole. I've just been talking since 8 a.m. It's now 1.30. Remember, relax your throat. Cap the balls. What does that have to do with... With you at work? <laughs> Getting a sore throat? <laughs> I was going to say, how, if you relax your throat... How, I don't understand the whole cuffing the balls thing, but whatever. I'm, they, I'm glad you know about this, They need Scott. support, too. Hey, man, how do you think I made my money? <laughs> I'm not gay, but a 20 is a 20. So stupid. Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook. Join us on Citizens of Brutal Nation and interact with us. Don't be a loser. Interact. God damn it. I know you. I, I, I see you out there in the beanbag chair, naked eating Cheetos. Bastards. Bastards. This show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. If you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio, they're lying, thieving bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.